Oh, gotta love it. How are we doing, everybody? The Total Bases podcast is back. I know this isn't Felipe doing our lovely intro like he always does. He has continued to take off his little well-deserved two weeks. Uh, The last time we got together was uh, right before Memorial Day. We had that early show, so we wouldn't have to do it Memorial Day weekend. And it feels like I've been gone forever, but... No Felipe, but we do have friend of the podcast, Stephen Carey. Stephen was with us, I believe, once or twice last year, yep. and it was an absolute blast having you on, Ben. Uh, we really liked what you did when you came on here. Uh, so we figured, hey, no Felipe, we got to find somebody. You are an easy pick to go. Uh, thank you for joining me. Uh, for the people that didn't get to hear you last year, tell us some about yourself and your fantasy background and the whole nine yards. Got you. Well, uh, yeah, no, I appreciate you guys having me on. I, I enjoy uh, listening to you guys. Uh, I'm, I'm friends with Felipe. Uh, we, we, we've done fantasy football leagues together, now the baseball leagues. Um, he, he's definitely my, my, my nemesis in those leagues. So, uh, so yeah, it, it seems like a good fit that I'm here taking his place. Um, but, yeah, I've been playing for quite some time. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I feel like um, – Dude, I just love it. Last year, last year, I, I I was so excited to get some of it in, but then when the season came, it just didn't have that same thunder. But this year, this year, getting everything back to normal, man, I'm <laughs> I'm all aboard. Yeah, last year just uh, felt like chaos. Uh, a a two month fantasy season, I, I was running around like a a chicken with its head cut off. But when I asked you to come onto the show, I realized it was almost too perfect because you immediately told me you said, "Well." I'm actually facing Felipe in our league this week. So I said, this will be a great time to hop all over Felipe. I hope you're winning. I can't see the score uh, from the pictures you sent me, but oh, you you are winning. Even better, he's not here to defend himself. So we can trash his lineup and we can talk about how great your lineup is and (laughs) why you're beating him and – all that good stuff. Of course, you he know, might hop in the comments here if he can escape away from the baby for a few minutes and he might try and defend himself, but we'll just ignore it. But yeah, uh, we, so we, we don't have the, to listen to any of him. Yeah, we for the people to. that aren't watching and will just be listening to this on the audio version, right now we have the uh, lineups of Felipe, a.k.a. the Black Hole Army versus Stephen Carey's Mac Attack team. And they're two really good lineups. Uh, your lineup's really anchored by guys like Cody Bellinger, Kyle Tucker, and Ronald Acuna. Meanwhile, Felipe has Jesse Winker, who is honestly probably one of the best hitters in the National League this year. Uh, Matt Olson, my guy, Will Smith, who, once again, uh, we had this argument so many times over the last two years, Will Smith for Salvador Perez, and here they are both facing off against each other, except Felipe has Will Smith, even though he has been telling me Salvador Perez, Salvador Perez, Salvador Perez. When, do you remember when you drafted Salvador Perez or how many catchers had gone off the board then? And are you still, you know, happy with his production this year? Oh, yeah. no, no, no. Completely happy. And it, it's, it's funny because I had to tag you and, and him in a post uh, last week. I went heads up with, uh, I, I'm bad with names, uh, JT uh, Real Muto. How do you say his name? Real Muto. <laughs> Real Muto, yeah. Uh, forgive me with my names. I know who they are, uh, but... Uh, um, I took Salvador Perez before him and it was probably, we're a five keeper league. I want to say we were maybe two or three rounds in. So you're looking at probably round six or seven. And uh, yes, yeah, people in the comments were like, and I kind of took some shit for taking Perez first. 
And uh, I had to point out that in my head-to-head matchup that Perez did outscore him. Uh, and he's <laughs> outscoring Mr. Smith this week, too. So I'm, I'm happy with his production. Um, honestly, like, silly enough, when I took Perez, the, the whole reason why I took him was honestly just gut. I'm like, hmm. Ah, both of these guys get injured. I just feel like Perez isn't going to be as hurt as uh, Real Muto. So th- that's honestly my own. That's a good bet. That was a good bet to make. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm like, I can acknowledge that Salvador Perez is valuable in fantasy. I'm just so worried. He's always been this hacker, you know, just swings at everything yep. and still a 2.3% walk percentage this year. Uh, he does have a career-high strikeout percentage at 25.3, which is a little worrying. But the thing that had me really worried about him last year was that really high BABIP. Uh, the BABIP has normalized. Yeah. He's still batting 280, uh, slugging over 500, you know, 16 home runs out of a catcher. That would pretty sure that leads the league this year. Uh, Mike yeah. Zanino might be, like, right behind him. But, yeah, that's that's fantastic production. Um but one of the things that I wanted to talk to, because the last time we were able to meet as a group was, you know, two and a half weeks ago. And since then, we've had a lot of interesting developments, especially in terms of injuries. And if we go to your first baseman, you just recently got back Cody Bellinger. How did you replace Cody Bellinger when he was out for the last month or so? So I also have uh, Hosmer um, on my bench. So, he, he, I, honestly, I, I, you know, this team, I, I was surprised during the draft. I was able to build some pretty good depth. Um, and yeah, Hosmer, I was able to slip right in there and, um, who else is on the bench? Um, uh, and, and then just kind of interchange at the DH cause Solaire, Solaire started slow, but Bellinger, Bellinger just, uh, left the game. Uh, what was it? Two days ago with a hamstring tightness again. Yeah. Uh, and they said that I believe when I was looking at some of the more recent injuries, they said they're going to hold him out of today's game, but is yeah. expected back into the lineup on Monday. So it just seems like one of those minor kind of maintenance play it safe since he's just coming back from injury type deals. But uh, yeah, and you got a solid infield, Gavin Lux, Tommy Edmond, Tim Anderson, Tommy Edmond has been my guy since 2019. Oh, uh, I love, I, yes, yes. He you is know what? one of my guys where I, I said before the year and I took so much flack for it on Twitter so much. I said, <laughs> why pick Ozzy Albies in the top 30 picks when I can get Tommy Edmond 100 picks later and get nearly yeah. identical production? And guess what? It's been nearly identical production. Yeah. Ozzy Albies has really cranked it up in the last month, so I'm having to eat some words there. But in terms of value, I think Tommy Edmond is awesome. But your outfield is just almost unfathomable. Kyle Tucker, Ronald Acuna, and Alex Verdugo – how did you come across with that? Uh, were Tucker and Acuna both keepers for you going into the year, or was it just Acuna and then you drafted Tucker? No, and and uh, I, I kept Acuna, and that was a couple of years ago when he was still coming up uh, through some trades because we do two minor league keepers too. Yeah, so I was able to, to snag him up, and then I, I kept him. I recently had a, an offer, uh, well, not an offer, just hey, what, what would you be willing to give up outside of? I think he is Tatis. Um, I said nobody. <laughs> I mean, no offense, but I'm not giving. I, he's he's young. I'm I'm not giving him up. But um, Tucker uh, Tucker was my first round. So again, five keepers. So that's technically like round six. He was my first. He was my first pick. I think I had the third or fourth pick. And I know when you guys were going over the draft, you you would mention you're like, oh, he he didn't go soon enough. I was like, I I agree, but nobody nobody seems to be back in my play here. But we'll find out. And you know, I mean, he hasn't been like off the charts, but I mean. 
the, the kid's legit, man. Yeah. I, I <laughs> he hit into a lot of bad luck. And on our last show that me and Felipe did together, we kind of broke it down. He was the one guy who was the disappointment on my team. And I just chuckled. Mm-hmm. I said, my team's so good that if Kyle Tucker's my most disappointing offensive player, yep. I'm in a good spot right now. But Absolutely. he hit into such bad luck in April. And then in May, it just all went back. Like he was hitting the ball how he was supposed to, and he was getting rewarded for it. And he has just been, you know, a stud. I mean, he was a top three prospect in all of baseball. Houston yep. kind of dragged their feet, bringing him up, but he's here. He's here to stay. And he's just an, you know, a fantasy stud, even though he's not probably stealing as much as we thought he would based on his minor league stolen bases. Uh, he's just a flat out hitter. Uh, so after that, you know, Verdugo has, performed pretty good better than most fans and especially Red Sox fans I know they said uh, since the trade they went back and I believe Verdugo actually has a higher OPS or uh it wasn't OPS it was average and I think on base than Mookie Betts since the time of the trade I was watching a a Red Sox game the other day and they had you know they were comparing the stats and obviously Mookie's the better player but he's off to a slow start this year Verdugo's you know been red hot so it's not nearly a lopsided deal as people probably thought. I am going to get the pitchers no, up Verdugo, here. Verdugo, I, I man, I was high on him when he was in LA, and uh, you know they, they they really weren't giving him too much playing time. Uh, he was like kind of spot spot playing it here and there. But uh, then when he went to Boston and he was sitting on the board, I'm like, you know what? I I, I like him in Boston. I, I think I think we're gonna roll with him. And uh, yeah, no, he's been he's been solid. <laughs> Okay, trying to get this. There we go. Do we have the pitchers up now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Oh well, it's no, that's okay. Well, I can see it on my own. Uh, we'll just go by that right now. Zoom is not cooperating with me, but right now you have Barrios, Walker Bueller, Zach Wheeler. That is an awesome one, two, three. But you've also fell victim to both Luis Castillo and now Jackson uh, Cower Cower. I'm not really sure the pronunciation of him. Uh, he's only got two innings in his first two starts and he's given up eight earned runs. It's brutal. Negative, negative 10.5 points in this week's matchup. I, I, <sighs> I brought him on. I brought him on. Basically it was a two. He had two starts this week. I'm like, Oh man, this kid, you know, he's looking pretty good. I'm like, two starts. Let me, let me plug him in. And then uh Flaherty, like I said, he went down. So I was like, all right, plug him in. He's, he's literally negative 10.5. He's doing everything he can to get Felipe the win. <laughs> yeah. He, he's got a, you know, he's a plant by Felipe. I want to put it past him. Yeah. But uh, Zach Wheeler is a guy that I have in oh. a 30 team dynasty and in points with how deep he is going into games, it's seven, eight or nine innings. It feels like every start. And yes. that is just absolutely amazing. Now, one thing even that we have wins, he's still he's still racking up points just based on the depth. And then yeah, he he went eight innings in his last start, and Hector Neris blew the save for him yeah. and blew his win. I was I was angry about that. And then Hector Neris goes and blows another save yesterday yeah. as well. <laughs> um, we talked about Luis Castillo, me and Felipe did on one of the last two shows when we were talking about disappointing players. And Luis Castillo was an easy target, but neither of us have Luis Castillo in a league. So I figured I would ask you, what has it been like being a Luis Castillo, you know, owner who has him like he's he does seem to have possibly turned a corner in the last few starts. You know, he's still giving up like two or three runs. Uh, He probably if they had taken him out after five in his last start, it would have been a scoreless outing. 
but they left him in a little bit too long, gave up, I think, one run. They took him out of the game, and he had two base runners and both ended up scoring because that Cincinnati bullpen has just been brutal, aside from TJ Anzone. (laughs) But uh, your thoughts on Luis Castillo, and are you going to keep him next year? Oh, well, no. Yeah, he was my keeper. Him and Flaherty were my keeper going to this year. And uh, ironically enough, he's a guy who I Felipe was high on as well as I was. I mean, who would I mean, yeah. everybody. Oh, he had great stuff. Him. Nobody saw this coming, yeah. really. It was but just... this, this whole demise is just like out of nowhere. And I was like, well, I said, all right, let's keep him. And then he starts going, OK, a few rough outings. I'm like, all right. All right. Then I think he had a, a two start week and I was like, all right. And he just got murdered. And that now it becomes, well, this guy's got such electric stuff. You just expect him, you know, when he turns it on, you're like, he's just going to go. So it's so hard to keep him out of your lineup because you're like, you know what's there. But I think I sat him last week. This week, again, I, I had no choice. I didn't have too many guys going. But he at least put a positive 10 points up on my on my scoreboard. So I'll take that. Yeah, better than the, the last few starts before that. Um, you sit there and you're, I mean, I was Googling, like, I'm trying to figure out, man, what's going on with this guy? Like, and I, nobody seems to have a, a good answer. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, at the beginning of the year, it seemed like he kind of didn't have confidence in his changeup, wasn't throwing it mm-hmm. as much because the command was off. And his other pitches, the fastball and slider, have always been somewhat iffy command. They've been good pitches. He just isn't consistent in his command with it. And if he doesn't have the changeup command, then, He's just he's lost. He's just kind of going up there guessing as a pitcher where the ball is going to go. But yeah. uh, so there you go. You're in line to beat Felipe. Congrats to you. Uh, that's a you know quick round yeah. of applause for you as well. But I, you uh, know, he's, uh, he, he's had a tough a tough go in our league. I think he I think he's a top scoring team, but he's only he's only five and five. Or is he five and five? <laughs> Let's see here. He's um. Real quick, he is – yeah, he's 5-5. Five and five. So, I told him, you know, I said I, – I wouldn't – I mean, if he won this week, I'd feel better that he got over 500, but I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, don't, don't toss it to him. So, no. with, with that being said, we've talked about some guys that, you know, you've dealt with with injuries. But just in the last two weeks or so, we have seen so many players go down with injuries. And I, I just went through a, a small on ESPN's injury tracker – and picked a few off, and there are some big names here. Uh, Nick Madrigal, done for the year, tore his hamstring. That was brutal for me, and I know you as a White Sox fan, that just absolutely hurts to see. Especially, yeah, Nicky Two Strikes was my guy. Since Double A, I loved him, and he was doing so good. You know, he finally got a barrel. We had the whole barrel alert watch going in baseball life. That was a whole lot of fun. There was some controversy because Jerks and Profar actually had a barrel like the day before Magicals. We had to have a whole investigation, you know, into who actually got it, the, the timing by the minute. But uh, Marcelo Zuna, he got hurt, and then he did a little no-no thing. So he's yeah. gone for the rest of the year. Uh, Kyle Lewis tours meniscus. He's out for the next four to six weeks. John Means, who is an early AL Cy Young uh, candidate for Baltimore, he's out. Uh, Alberto Mondesi, we hardly knew you. He came in, uh, yeah. <laughs> was on the aisle for the first six weeks, plays for a week and a half, and he's back on the IL. Uh, Trevor Rogers, who easily nationally rookie of the year candidate, he's now on the COVID IL. We don't really know when he's going to be back. And then the two really scary ones for a lot of fantasy owners out there. Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer both leaving their starts earlier than they probably would have liked to. 
Now they're saying a day or two after each injury that they're fine and they'll make their next start. But you're talking about starting pitchers that are 32 and 35 years old. Anytime there's something wrong, you get a little worried. Uh, and then, of course, two of the younger guys, you mentioned one, Jake, uh, Jack Flaherty. Oh, he went down with the oblique. He's likely out to the all-star game. And then Steven Strasburg, the pitching version of Mondesi, essentially. Uh, we hardly knew. You're on the aisle for six weeks. You come back, you make two starts, and you're gone again, which is why I never touched Steven Strasburg. Me neither. Yep. <laughs> and then Evan Longoria, who had found the fountain of youth over there in San Francisco with uh, Buster Posey. He's out on the aisle probably till the all-star break. And then the low and relief pitcher I wanted to talk about was TJ Antone. He was the one bright spot in that Cincinnati bullpen. And now he's on the aisle yeah. and he was looking like the go-to closer. Finally, they had been doing this whole committee, Sean Doolittle, Lucas Sims, but Antone was the one getting results of, of some of those guys, the, the DeGroms, Scherzer, Strasburg, Flaherty's meet, especially the pitchers, because pitching just seems to be in such a, disastrous state how are you trying to handle uh starting pitching this year so far with a lot of the injuries have you been lucky in that regards have you had to replace a couple of guys or what no i've been pretty lucky uh well uh flaherty obviously he goes down and that 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 stung but i again i I have enough in the in in the tank to run him out there but i like to play uh the matchups where because we can do the two-star pitcher. So I try to look at the two-star pitchers and be like, all right, well, if I got a guy down, let's, let's plug this guy in. And that did not work out well for me this week. Like we <laughs> talked about negative 10.5 points. Um, but, um, you know, um, it, it's, it, it, I, I don't understand like, like DeGrom, DeGrom, again, Felipe has DeGrom. He gets hurt, but he scores 31 points. I'm like, <laughs> and that was the, the greatest, that was the greatest part about that start was, you know, he left after six innings and only 80 pitches, and he had, what, 11 strikeouts in six innings. Yeah. Um, and then they, like they said it was a, a right flexor tendon in his elbow. And this was the part that blew my mind was DeGrom said, yeah, I felt it earlier in the week in one of my bullpens. He said, but I felt like I could pitch with it. And he goes out there, throws a one-hitter through six innings with 11 strikeouts. And, yeah. like, I, it was noticeable. The velocity was – down to 98 miles an hour. He threw one that was 96, and I thought my heart was going to fall out of my asshole. <laughs> Part of the language, I thought it was like, I said, 96? Like, he hasn't thrown a fastball lower than 97, I think, all year. And a 96 came out there, and I was like, yeah, he's done after this inning. <laughs> how, how, how insane is that? The guy throws 96. And you're <gasps> <laughs> Especially, like, I remember his debut. He was hitting, like, 94, maybe one or two 95, 96s. But, yeah, that was wild. Hopefully he only misses the minimum amount of time because what he's doing this year is just bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. Insane. And uh, hopefully Max Scherzer, you know, he's a prime trade candidate, could really become, you know, fantasy relevant if he goes to an even better team. You know, Washington's sitting in the cellar of the National League East right now. Uh, probably not going to get as many wins as he thought he was going to, but uh, it's not all doom and gloom. Uh, I, I went back and I also looked at some of the recent injury updates of players coming back, and all of these guys have either already started their rehab assignments or are going to start one this week. Uh, guys like George Springer, who coming fresh off the $150 million contract, has played a grand total of, I think, two or three games for Toronto. Yep. 
The Mets dodged a bullet. And at, and I told people this. He's 31 years old. He has chronic leg injuries. Mm-hmm. And he's hasn't really been a primary center fielder for the majority of his career. Yet you want to pay him $150 million to be a primary center fielder when he's never done that? <laughs> yeah. I so, mean- uh, But he is expected to come back. Uh, of course, being still in the AL, he might get some time at DH. Toronto does have a lot of options at DH, though, with guys like Rowdy Telez, uh, Guerrero Jr., who's just been, you know, the DeGrom version of hitting essentially this year. He's like an 1,100 OPS. It's just insane. Another Toronto Blue Jay catcher, Alejandro Kirk. I know that is one of Felipe's favorites, so I wanted to mention him. Kirk. Uh, yeah, a little uh, pride at Tijuana, Mexico. Uh, he was on, he got moved to the 60-day IL uh, right after he got injured with a um, – I think he tore his hip labrum, something like that. But yeah. he did just appear in his first uh, game of extended spring training. I don't think he can come back till early July, but there is a path there, so he's on the way. As well as some other impact guys, uh, Didi Gregorius, Luke Voigt, Jeff McNeil. Jeff McNeil starting his rehab assignment today. Uh, Didi and Luke Voigt are expected to start them on Monday, I believe. And then a few pitchers of note with all those pitching injuries we just talked about. These guys are, you know, really probably teams are going to rely on them. You know, fantasy owners are going to rely on them. Uh, Kenta Maeda. And then even a guy you have, Lance McCullers Jr. Uh, I have him in a league as well. And I- I'm waiting for him to get back because it's that 30-team dynasty. I've been ravaged by starting pitcher injuries. And out of nowhere, they just said, oh, we're putting him on the IL. And I'm like, what? Yeah, it didn't seem like nothing. Then all of a sudden, boom, uh, IL. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, and it was like it, it was like two and a half weeks. And I get they had, you know, Framber Valdez came back from injury. Jake Odorizzi came back from injury. So it's like they felt like, hey, we have these guys. Might as well just put them on the IL. They can get a turn or two in the rotation. But uh, and really even more interesting return was Zach Gallon threw 40 pitches in a simulated game, I believe, on Friday. So he's the he's probably the most risky guy that, you know, so many people got in the second round or early third round. And then we all thought he was done in spring training when he broke his arm, the pitching arm. And then he came back real quick. And then he goes back down on the aisle with a uh, ligament injury in his elbow. And here he is. He's looking like he might be back by late June, early July. Could really help out a lot of teams. So of any of those guys, have you had come back on your own team, come back from injury and really help out? Or have you looked to fill it from the waiver wire? You know, honestly, I mean, it, a lot of it's just been more just filling from the waiver wire. Uh, I, I've been knock on wood while my five, because it's five keep it, the keepers, uh, you, 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 um, I have yet to have them all on the field at the same time. Everybody's always hurt, but uh, been able to manage. But Zach Gallen, I, I, I was trying to target him. And uh, in my one of my other leagues, um, I got him. And then when the arm thing happened and then he went right back on the ice at all, that does not sound good. I dropped him. And now, so I mean, I thought there's no way he's coming back this year. I'm like, no, he's done. And then somebody picked him up. So, I mean, it's still a risk. But in, in the, the league with Felipe, I don't know. I, Felipe might have him. I don't know who has him. But I remember in that draft, I was about to take him. And then somebody ahead of me snatched him. I'm like, ah, well, I guess it all works out for the better. But Yeah, but speaking of waiver wire, you know, if you don't have one of those guys that we mentioned that are coming back from injury, hopefully soon, uh, 
I didn't go. I'm not Felipe. I'm not as good as Felipe. I'll be the first one to tell you that. I did not look up these guys' ownership percentages on CBS, but just some waiver wire guys that are off to really good starts in June. Uh, Billy McKinney, he was the Mets acquisition uh, after being DFA'd in Milwaukee. He has stepped right into the right fielder's job uh, with Michael Conforto on the injured list. Ten of his first 13 hits as a Met have gone for extra base hits. He has like a 700 slugging percentage. Uh, Daniel Vogelbach has picked up the majority of the first base reps. And of course, we love getting Vogie with it. I mean, he is just like the little chunk of source Rex over there. Uh, I saw him make a diving play, and then he slid into first base to like step on the bag. And seeing a man of that size do two athletic things like that within five seconds was the greatest thing I've seen in a long time. It was like watching Bartolo play defense, and that was always a fun thing to watch. But uh, Vogelbach (laughs) has picked up the majority of the starts at first base since Keston here forgot how to hit a baseball. Um, Jonathan India, a guy who started off kind of slow, and then everybody rushed to Adam, and then he got hurt, and everybody dropped him again. He's off to a really good start in June, still playing a lot. Granted, Mike Moustakis is one of those guys that is coming back from the IL possibly in the next week or so. I believe they think he actually might be able to come be activated for uh, the Monday series. Uh, Jorge Polanco in Minnesota was off to a brutal start of the year, but he's always been a pretty solid fantasy uh, contributor. Uh, he's off to a solid start in June. He's been available in a lot of leagues that I've seen, especially you know the 10 and 12 team leagues. But if you just lost Nick Madrigal, Jorge Polanco, or Jonathan India, or Jonathan Scope, the next guy on my list here, uh, would all yeah. be great replacements for someone like Nick Madrigal or Alberto Mondesi on your middle infield slot. Any thoughts on any of those middle infielders, the, the Indias, Polancos, or Scopes? I can't, I can't touch Scope because every time I touch him, he just falls off the earth. I, 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 I'm not going to do it to me, and I'm not going to do it to the fans out there. I'm just going to leave him alone. Same way with Kyle Hendricks. Kyle Hendricks, when I have him uh, in either one of my leagues, the guy, the guy, the guy will, will pitch like either awful or he'll get no run support. It's, so I just leave him alone, and those are two guys I just leave alone. Uh, but Polanco, Polanco I like a lot, and I, I actually drafted him, and then um, like slow start that I just needed to make some room, and I dropped him, and I think I picked him up again, then I dropped him again. And But he's, he's a guy like, yeah, I, I like him. Like if I had room for him, I mean, I actually, I like him a lot. Like he just fills in and he, he does just enough almost in every, when, when he's hitting and when he's on, he does just enough in every little category. And yeah. um, me and Felipe always say that like Jorge Polanco, Eduardo Escobar, all of those guys have never been, you know, seen together, even though they were teammates for multiple years, because they always <laughs> just seem like the same player switch yes. hitting infielder hits for a little bit of power. The average is, you know, good to below average. Uh, and they just kind of just do their thing. It, it's the, yep. the weirdest, most under-the-radar type guys. Uh, you know, he the slash line for the total year so far is 251, 320, 447. Not great, not terrible, but it really has come on in the last couple of weeks. Before that, he was struggling, but hey, if you need a middle infielder, ride the hot hand. He is one of them. And then a couple of outfielders to go with Billy McKinney. Miles Straw, who a lot of fantasy owners drafted thinking he could possibly lead the American League in steals, uh, always had a high on base in the minors, really fast player, and he just never got started this year. Off to another solid start since the beginning of June, since the calendar flipped, which 
was when I looked at a lot of these guys, I wanted to see how they did before June. Almost all of these guys were, you know, under a 100 weighted runs created plus, meaning they were below average hitters. And then since the calendars flipped, they've been really, really good hitters. And of course, it's only been a sample size of, you know, 10, 12 games. But sometimes it's just a mental thing of, okay, new month. I can't do anything about what just happened for the last month, but I'm going to do better this month. And that seems to happen sometimes. But Miles Straw off to a good start, really good stolen base candidate. And speaking of stolen bases, who do you think is your best stolen base threat on your team right now? Uh, In a points league, it's not as important, but, you know, depending on how you guys score stolen bases, they can be very valuable still. Yeah, I think uh, stolen base-wise, I – I mean, I, I thought Tucker would be, you know, up there, but he, he hasn't stole as much. But uh, Acuna and then actually Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson's been – I think he's got like 12 steals on the season. Yeah, and I believe Tommy Edmond, uh, he has like 11 or 12 as well. So, and I'm telling you, Edmund, Edmund – and the fact that Edmund – and what kills me is people don't people, – people don't look at him, but he's got, he's got eligibility at second, third, short, like right – I'm like, <laughs> this guy's perfect. Yeah. This guy is perfect. Yeah, he, he saved me last year uh, when Paul DeYoung went down yes. with COVID with like half the Cardinals team, and they moved him to shortstop. Uh, he picked up shortstop eligibility when I had nobody with shortstop eligibility in a 30-team league. Like, I think the only player that was shortstop eligible and on an active roster was uh, Santiago Espinal for the Blue Jays. <laughs> He's like the seventh infielder. And I was like, I would rather just have no shortstop than have to start him. <laughs> so when Paul DeYoung went down with COVID or injury, whatever it was in 2020, uh, Edmund played a lot at short, picked up that eligibility for last year and this year, uh, ended up flick- uh, flipping him over to uh, Jacob Moses to get uh, Carlos Correa. Uh, it's a deal that, you know, Carlos Correa has really turned it on since May. Uh, Tommy Edmund's been great for him, though, so it really has been a win-win trade for both of us. And then the last outfielder we'll talk about, and it's hard to call him an outfielder, but that's where he's playing and he is performing, is Miguel Andujar of the Yankees, who's picked up a lot of playing time in left field. He has done a pretty good job. Uh, We always knew he could hit. He's just one of those guys that throws the bat and finds the ball consistently. That will play. The issue was always going to be, how do you get him at bats? He couldn't play third base. Uh, Aaron Boone does seem really impressed by his improvements in left field Uh, for the year. His slash line, he's batting 270 with a 430 slug, five home runs, eight RBIs. Not great, but, you know, it is what it is. He's he's only rostered in 22 percent of the leagues. Yeah, that Mm -hmm. you're talking about a guy who's getting consistent at bats now with some of the injuries in that Yankees lineup and some of the inconsistent play of guys like uh, Clint Frazier. So he's going to get every opportunity in a very loaded Yankees lineup. And if he's only rostered in 22% of leagues and you just lost somebody like uh, one of the guys we just mentioned, like uh, Marcelo Zuna, or I don't think we had any other outfielders, but if you just lost Ozuna and Duhar might not replace all of that production, but he's going to replace some of it. Uh, but looking at, worse. <laughs> yeah, looking at his numbers, we, we laughed at Salvador Perez's like 2.3 walk percentage. Uh, so far, Miguel Andujar is at 1.9%, uh, meaning he has a 270 average with only a 282 on pace. 
Jesus Christ. So maybe in an on basely you can find somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) It's really something else there. But uh, so we've looked at, you know, some of the guys that have gone down, some possible replacements. Hopefully some reinforcements are on your guys' teams coming back soon. You know who I like, uh, and and again, I'm going to butcher the name, is uh, uh, Willie uh, Adamas, Adam? Willie Adamas, Willie Adamas. Yeah, Adamas. Yeah, he was was a guy, you know, top prospect, Mm -hmm. and he always said, and when he played in Tampa, his road splits were always better, and he said, I don't pick up the ball at the trop. He said he couldn't see it, and that was always reflected in the splits, and since going to Milwaukee, he's been – a totally different hitter. I mean, he it's, they almost line up with his career road splits and he was always talented, always had power, always walked a good bit, but uh, he's been a real, like, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned him. He's a, another guy that has really turned it on since, you know, being traded to Milwaukee in CBS. He's only, uh, I think he's only rostered in like 39% or 40%. Wow. Which was crazy to me. Cause I, again, I, I don't have, I don't have the room for him, but I, I would pick him up in a heartbeat because I mean, and I was reading his, his road splits. Like they said he would have it. Like he was on pace for like a two ninety average with 30 home runs. <laughs> if he, I mean, if he played full seasons and he, and, and, and it was on the road uh, away from Tropicana. So, I mean, like you said, the guy was a top, what was he? He was top. Yeah. He was like top, top five or 10, top five or yeah. 10 when he was a prospect. Yep. yep. Uh, I'm trying to pull up his career splits real fast because it, it really yeah. is like something wild that you would have never seen. Yeah. So at home for his career, he was a 220 hitter uh, with a uh, 279 on base, 31% strikeout rate. Yikes. And a 357 slug that put him at a 79 weighted runs created plus. So 21% worse than league average, but on the road, 10% walk rate, 27.8 strikeout rate. So still kind of high but a 295 average, 370 on base, 495 slugging, 132 weighted runs created plus. So, I mean, he doubles his production when he was on the road. So definitely a guy who nobody, I think we all assumed Adamas was likely to be traded this year with, you know, Brujan and Wander Franco, you know, Mm -hmm. right there on the doorstep. But I think he went into one of the best possible situations, a hitter's park like Miller, uh, whatever they're calling it now. It's not Miller Field or Miller Park. That's unfortunate. Yeah. It's a American Family Center, something like that. Okay. Nothing's uh, worse than guaranteed rate field on my <laughs> south side of Chicago. So nothing is worse than that. So. But, yeah, uh, he's. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned him. He is another guy that could definitely fill in if you have injuries at shortstop or in the middle infield. I was surprised now, he wasn't rostered more. I, I, I was shocked. I was, wow. Yeah, for sure, especially after the trade. Uh, yeah. But – what I wanted to spend the, the majority, we're about halfway through already anyway, but was focusing on like three or four, you know, quote unquote star players that started off the year and really had fantasy owners freaking out. And I think the one guy that we could start off with would be Matt Chapman, who has always been teetering on the brink of being a really great player, but also slipping down into being a very bad player. He had some bad habits, you know, lots of swing and miss, lots of chase. He did start walking more, but once he started walking more, he worked deeper counts. The 
more times you work deep counts, the more you strike out, which when you have contact issues, that doesn't really work out well half the time. But before June, he was batting 198, 308, and 332 uh, slugging. The walk rate was high at almost 14%. Strikeout rate was over 32%, though, which is, you know, not good. But I think the most worrying thing for him before June was he had an 88.4 average exit velocity, which is insanely low for Matt Chapman, a guy who was always towards the top of the league and average EV and barrel rate and everything like that. Of course, the defense was still great, so he's going to play every day, and it's Oakland. But a lot of people were really worried. He was dropped several times in the Baseball Life fan tracks league. Yeah, the the first time he was dropped, he actually cleared waivers. Nobody picked him up. And then I went back, and it was like on a Saturday or a Sunday, and I was looking at all the transactions for the week, and I saw where Aaron Zook picked him up, and I said, Matt Chapman was a free agent? (laughs) <laughs> I said, this man cleared waivers. Nobody got him. And then finally she dropped him. I caught it this time and I added him to my team, but I have nowhere to play him because I have Jose Ramirez and Yoan Makata playing third base and corner infield. And then my utility slot has been filled by Jordan Alvarez and Shohei Otani. So he, yeah. I have him just in case he gets hot, which is what it kind of looks like he's doing now. Uh, since the calendar flipped, 306 batting average, 357 on base, 472 slugging. The walk rate has dropped a little bit, but so has the strikeout rate, which would lead me to believe he's probably being a little bit more aggressive early in counts. Mm-hmm. Now, there is some still worry. He has a 400 BABIP over that same time period. And his expected stats are 254, 318, 458. So, Batting average is likely to fall a little bit, but the average exit velocity is bumping up a little bit, which is probably a good thing for him as he's trending up. He's getting hitting the ball harder and getting rewarded for it. So definitely a guy to keep an eye on. Uh, your thoughts on Matt Chapman just as, you know, a fantasy player in a points league like the league you're in with Felipe. I think he does lose some shine because of that high strikeout rate. Yeah, especially with the negative points, yeah. He, uh, I mean, I just have always looked at him as somebody that, like you said, he, he, he's always on that, on that, on that, like, that, that, that seesaw where it's like, all right, we're going to go either way with you. And for me, at least with him, it's always been like, there's just better options. You know what I mean? But that potential is there. Like, you're, you're just like, mm. um, He could yeah, so no. easily be a 30 home run, 100 RBI guy. Yeah. And it's just, you know, he's going to play because – in real life, he's a great in real life ball player because you know mm-hmm. he's the best defensive third baseman yeah. we've probably had in the last ten years. I I would argue better than Arenado in his prime. I might get you know crucified on that hill, but that's me. Huh. Uh, but <laughs> it's so when you see a hitter like that, like a, a younger player that who's dealing with a lot of the same things right now in St. Louis, Tyler O'Neill hits the yes. ball extremely hard, whiffs a lot. I mean, when when he hits it, he hits it like a damn nuclear missile. Uh, but he's like in the second percentile in whiff rate. And it all it takes, if they don't walk, which Tyler O'Neill doesn't walk, Matt Chapman walks a little bit. But yeah. if you're whiffing a lot and you your chase rate, you know, just goes down, you know, 10% or, or technically up 10%, and a lot of things can go wrong because then yeah. you start getting behind in every at-bat. 
and you're st- you start swinging at everything and oh it's just it's such a precipitous place to be in owning yeah. a player like that well yeah and, and Chapman I mean if you I don't know like if you look at some like the splits and stuff it seems like he goes through these periods where he explodes yeah and then it's like all right now we're back down here it's it, the inconsistency is what really I mean I mean from a, like you said real life great but fantasy man it, it's it's just there's just so in my eyes there's just so many better options that you can you know put in there and let it ride and you're going to get consistent production but then again he explodes and you're kind of like man this is what we're talking about and then nope <laughs> yeah i mean and we kind of saw this with him in 2019 the last full yeah. season uh the, in the first half he was awesome you know 273 wasn't, like wasn't he like 360 something at one point in one of those months or like something ridiculous i was like geez yeah, he had uh, the first three months, 945 OPS, 865 OPS, 919 OPS. And then in July, dropped to 683. He had a hot August back to 907, but, uh, you know, ended pretty poorly. And for the second half as a total, uh, he was a 222 header with a 26% strikeout rate. Uh, so we have seen, you know, these ups and downs from Matt Chapman before. He He is a guy that, I wanted the Mets to trade for him more than I wanted them to trade for someone like Francisco Lindor, who, what do you know? I segued that as best as I, I that was, that was Felipe. That was Felipe esque right there. So another stud fantasy stud has been for, you know, five plus years and gets the gets traded, gets the giant extension. And for the first two months, he's a 198, 293 on base. 308 slugging but i always thought his offense was a bit overrated everyone would see the 30 home runs and be like wow he's a 30 home run hitter he hit 30 home runs and 30 doubles and he stole 15 bases that's awesome but his offense always seemed to be so reliant on the extra base hits and if he ever lost the extra base hits or if they just turned it into more singles or more doubles he never really got on base a whole lot. His uh, career on base in Cleveland, I believe, was around like the high 330s. I, I, it was, you know, pretty pretty average on base. And it was always that 500 slugging, you know, combining all those extra base hits that kept him afloat. But as a Met, in his initial struggles, it was the complete opposite. He had an 11% walk rate. He still wasn't striking out. The strikeout rate was under uh, 16%. But he had a 217 BABIP, which makes you think, whoa, yeah, that's that's not right. But even when you watched him, you're like, something's not right. You know, it's not just bad BABIP luck. He was lunging, he was out front, he he the timing was just so off. And I had never seen Francisco Lindor look like that. It was a very odd thing to see. Uh, the average exit velocity was only at 87 and a half miles an hour, which is even lower. Uh Compared to his, you know, normal around 89, he wasn't hitting line drives like he's always done. But since the end of May, beginning of June, he's been a completely different hitter. Uh, batting average up to 289, a 372 on base, which I believe would be the highest yeah. of his career if this was, you know, an entire season's worth. And 553 slugging, still nine and a half percent walk rate. That's much higher than I would have ever guessed for Lindor. In a 19% strikeout rate, the BABIP has normalized. It's almost up 100 points at 312, but it's not one of those that's insanely high that you think there's regression coming. Um, 
the expected stats to back it up 284, which is only five points off his actual batting average for the since June, uh, 368, 597. So, yeah, everything's going up for him. Uh, he is one of the two players that we will talk about of the reformed stars that has a 400 plus expected WOBA since June 1st. So he is a guy that a lot of people tried to buy low on him. And I'm sure a lot of people were able to get him buying low. And if they did, they are, you know, reaping the benefits right now. Well, I think uh, I, when I, I went and I looked at him and I was like, man, what, what, what's going on here? And I, I, I was kind of looking back and forth and I'm like, and I just, I happened to look at the game log because I'm like, all right, he's, he's popping up here. And I noticed, I was like, you know what? I, the solution to Lindor is he just has to play Arizona all the time <laughs> because that's his hot streak here. It starts with Atlanta. Then he goes to Arizona. But if you look back when he played Arizona before, I was like, he, he literally, he's like, he's batting 420 against Arizona. He's got, he's got five of his like 15 RBIs in Arizona. Like I was like, just play Arizona, dude. We're good. We're good. <laughs> If ever, I'm sure every team in baseball is saying that. Um, Trust me, I, I thought that too. I like, Arizona's wow, lost like 32 yeah. of their last 36 or something like that. And it's yeah. so funny because I see some of the guys in that lineup. Like Eduardo Escobar was leading the National League in RBIs. If that doesn't tell yeah. you that RBIs is not the end-all be-all stat yeah. for a player. Like and Paven Smith, a guy that is on Felipe's lineup facing you right now is a guy that we've talked about since he was a, a prospect. Paven Smith is awesome. Could really, yep. if if Trevor Rogers ends up missing any sort of time or has any sort of setback from if he is has tested positive for COVID, which we hope he hasn't, Paven Smith is a legitimate rookie of the year candidate. I was yep. looking at the top first base uh, players by Fangraphs War. I think he had the second highest National League uh, among National League first basemen. It was Max Muncie at like number two or three and Paven Smith was at like number eight or nine and the rest were AL first baseman. So Paven Smith has been awesome. Josh Rojas, another guy that I'm a fan of, but Oh my God, that team just, they don't have any pitching. <laughs> you look at their oh. bullpen you're like, Oh God, you know what? Hold on one second here. Okay. You are all, right. all good, man. So yeah, we've just to do a slight recap. We have Matt Chapman and Francisco Lindor, both coming off, you know, early struggles, one of which we really are buying into going forward, Francisco Lindor. Matt Chapman, if this was a game of poker, I'd probably, you know, just hold, you know, check. But uh, going right, forward, I'm- yeah, you're, you are all good, Stephen. Kids, man, kids. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the next guy on our list is a former MVP. And I saw this tweet, which really made me want to add him to the Reform Stars list. And that's Christian Yelich. Uh, This is from Cream City Prospects. This is from Cream City Prospects on Twitter. I want to give him his shout out. I'm always so terrible about doing that. I'll remember a tweet I saw and Felipe will say something. I'll be like, I saw that tweet. I have no clue who said it, though. (laughs) But I saved this one. Christian Yelich started his 28th game of the season yesterday. His first 28 games started the season as compared to his first 28 of his 2018 MVP season. 2018, 28 games started, 124 plate appearances, four doubles, one triple, three home runs, 773 OPS with a 346 BABIP. In 2021, 28 games, 124 plate appearances, three doubles, one triple, three home runs, so identical amount of triples, home runs, 
identical 773 OPS in a BABIP of 345, which is one point lower than what it was in his first 28 games in 2018. It's now, like Chris Davis esque, right? Like, yeah, that, yeah, it really is. Uh, <laughs> speaking of Chris Davis, was another guy we could have mentioned in the news. He was DFA'd uh, by the Rangers, which honestly, he was batting. Uh, what did they have it? It was um, somebody said they just needed him to play like 27 more games, and he would have been at 247 something. It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't batting average. It wasn't hits. It was. It was something. They said they should have let him play 27 games. <laughs> But no, Christian Yelich is a guy who, among all of these guys, probably struggled the least uh, before June. And that was because he had a 386 on base, but only a 333 slugging. That's kind of bonkers. Yeah. He had an outrageously high 17% walk rate and a very un esque 34% strikeout rate. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, uh, a BABIP of 415. So when he was putting it in play, he was getting pretty lucky. He was hitting the ball hard, 90.4 average exit velocity. But the issue was, and this is what kept his slugging down and his batting average on the hole down, he had a minus one average launch angle. He's just pounding it into the ground. He's not lifting the ball. He's not hitting line drives, which is really, you know, his game. He was a line drive hitter for the first four years, and he finally – learned how to consistently lift the ball, and that was when he took off in 2018. But since June, uh, the batting average has actually gone down a little bit, but I wouldn't be worried about it. The BABIP has gone down over 140 points to sub-275. That's pretty low for Christian Yelich. He has a 422 on base, uh, buoyed by a 24.5% walk rate. And the strikeout rate is down from 34% to 22%. So, yeah, yeah, that 22% (laughs) seems a whole lot more like Christian Yelich. And most importantly, the expected batting average is 250, still low by his standards. But uh, expected on base is 408. Expected slugging is 533. So that kind of all lines up with his actual on base and slugging so far. But the launch angle is up from negative one to plus ten. Wow! So him and uh, Yell or him and Lindor are actually the two that are four hundred plus expected Woba guys since June first. Well, he figured something out, huh? Jeez. Yeah, I, I, I've I've been trying to trade for Christian Yelich. Hopefully, Andrew, this is the show he does not listen to. But in the thirty team league. <laughs> Uh, he is sitting right around 500 or right under 500. And he's been telling me, man, I'm thinking about blowing it up. Just, you know, thinking about just getting rid of, you know, get sell off all the pieces. And right now I'm undefeated and knock on wood. I'm up 70 points against the other only undefeated player in the 30 team league. This guy has Mike Trout, Nolan Arenado, Mookie Betts, Max Serger, Hyunjin Ryu in a 30 team league. 30 team. He has all these guys. It's bonkers. How, how, how does that even happen? Uh, he, he ripped off a lot of people along the way, <laughs> but um, I got lucky because Max Scherzer started for him, uh, gave him only 12 pitches. Uh, Hyunjin Ryu gave him negative points. Uh, Jackson Coer gave him negative points. Uh, so I, I've lucked out, you know, Mike Trout's on the injured list for him, but uh, knock on wood, I can hold on to that lead. Yeah, but, uh, you'll, uh, yeah, you can get some reinforcements with Yelich there. Yeah, that would be awesome. Uh, I'm trying to play on his Mets fandom, uh, Andrew O'Sullivan. I'm offering like Kim Conforto, 
uh, Francisco Alvarez, the top Mets catching prospect mm-hmm. who's hit, uh, I think, like three home runs in the last three days in Brooklyn. He's just on fire. But uh, speaking of offensively, you know, gifted catchers with power, uh, Gary Sanchez, and this wouldn't be a total basis podcast episode yeah. if we didn't talk about a Yankee that I will, I refuse to touch. Uh, and that's Gary Sanchez. Me, me too. I, have you ever drafted Gary Sanchez? No, no. Will you ever draft Gary no, Sanchez? No, no. <laughs> especially in a points league. <laughs> Yeah, no. Which this year, before <laughs> June first, for the first two months of the year, uh, it was looking a lot like normal for Gary Sanchez. You know, he's been right around the Mendoza line really since 2018. Uh, so before June first, he was a 202, 327, 379 walk rate at a healthy 30 or 30, 13 and a half percent strikeout rate upwards of 27 percent. Uh, the low BABIP because all he does is hit fly balls of 244. He was hitting the ball hard as well. He had the same average exit velocity as Christian Yelich. But while Christian Yelich was pounding everything into the ground, Gary Sanchez was hitting everything straight up, Uh, which, yeah, he's going to run into a couple of home runs, but he's going to just hit a bunch of fly balls and he's slow as hell anyway. So not really the best thing. But I've been seeing a lot of people, both in baseball life and Twitter, and they're like, Gary Sanchez is back. Uh, since June 1st, he's batting 303 with a 343 on base and a 576 slugging. This is the guy that they drafted to be their catcher. He's their catcher. Nothing could go wrong. This totally isn't lucky and everything like that because he has a five and a half walk percentage and a 40% strikeout rate. But hey, this is their guy. He is he's back. He is legit. He is for real. Uh, oh, and to go with that 40% strikeout rate, he's a 471 BABIP. A yep. 471 <laughs> BABIP. What? Yeah. I, <laughs> what? What? I, I, that was, I, I looked at that again. I was, wait, wait, what? I was like, four, I was like really? Yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> that, that, it, yeah. It's insane. And, of course, that is helped out by the fact that his average exit velocity since January or June 1st is 95.4. That's high. But – the launch angle over that same time period is 30 degrees. <laughs> it's just, that's either every at bat is ending in a strikeout home run or a 375 foot fly out. That's yeah. all that, that that's, that's the three true outcomes. Cause he's not even walking so much since June yeah. 1st. He, he's but, just hitting clouds, hitting clouds. Yeah. <laughs> he's poking the holes in the clouds, but yeah, his expected stats. When you compare him to his actual stats since June 1st, uh, the 303 batting average comes down to a 244 expected no. batting average. The on base of 343 comes down to a 267 expected on base. The slugging does stay at a healthy 492. And I think a lot of people in the fantasy world would take that 244, yes. 267, 492 slash line, I, no, especially at a catcher. They, they would take that. Mm-hmm. It's just 471 BABIP. 40% strikeout rate in the walks of cratered. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I really cracked up this week when I saw everyone saying Gary Sanchez is back guys, Gary Sanchez is back. And I said, um, uh, are you sure? So you, you just have to screenshot those. And then in about two weeks, check back in <laughs> when, when they start complaining that yeah. Kyle Higashioka is the starter and needs to play. And 
Because yeah. yeah. hey, he had the uh, he had a three home run game. He's a great hitter. Don't you know that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, this wouldn't be a total basis podcast if I didn't take passive aggressive takes against Yankee players. But uh, y- you sound very adamant when you said you would not touch Gary Sanchez. What what is the main reason behind that? Have you ever been tempted to draft him even back when he was really, you know, coming onto the scene and he looked like a 260, 270 hitter rather yeah, no. than a Mendoza line type hitter? Yeah, when he came when he came in, I remember I remember I'm like, man, you know, I I, I was looking into him and I I, I was shit, I would I would have tried to make a move for him, but didn't happen. And then after that, like I don't know, I want to say the following I don't know what year. When did he come in? When did he come in? It was uh, 2015. He only had the two plate appearances. It was 2016 when he came up and in 53 games had the 20 home runs and he batted yeah. 299. So there was that following season. I know I was, I was looking for him, but then um, as things went on, honestly, I just, I just saw, I, I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute here. This, you know, um, he, I, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It's just like, I, I felt from the get go, like, I'm like, this dude is just overrated. This guy, this guy is not, I don't understand what, what they see in him. Because again, when you take a look at it, especially from, I, I look at a lot of stuff from the fantasy standpoint and I'm just like, there are just so many better, again, there's just so many better options. I mean, you, I mean, don't get me wrong. When you get to the bottom, what, I mean, uh, what, 10, maybe, I mean, you're going to, you're going to use them. I mean, he'll be yeah. useful, but that, that, that first group, like, I just feel like there's just two extremes. Either people, like, pump this guy up to much more than he is, or they just absolutely can't stand him. Like, no, we're not touching him. There's no in-between with this guy. Yeah. I mean, you look at him since 2018, and this isn't a small sample size. This is over almost 300 games and 1,200 plate appearances. Uh, 204 average, 301 on base, 450 slugging. He's had has 70 home runs, which I believe since 2018 is the most by a catcher. Uh, Salvador Perez might know Salvador Perez missed an entire year, so he wouldn't be there. It's, it's the most home runs by a catcher. Uh, probably, probably top three in runs and RBIs at 151 and 173. But I, I always would see people be like, I'm going to get Gary Sanchez. I don't care that he's batting 200 or if he's batting 185 because uh, he's going to hit home runs for me, and that's better than most catchers. And it's like people will pick that. And it's like drafting Joey Gallo. I mean, that, that's you, yeah. you have to plan some way to care, especially in a roto league with where they count batting average. You have to find some way to work around that. Is you know, I, I did that in the TGFBI league. I drafted both Nick Madrigal and uh, David Fletcher. Uh, speaking of, I need to go drop Nick Madrigal in that. God damn it! <laughs> I, I, I've already added them to the IL in my other two teams that I that have them, but I forgot about that. Oh, that, that sucks. But you, you really, you have to work around it. But people, it's like, they say, oh, he's a catcher. I don't have to work around it. Like, yes, you do. Like, he, I mean, he's going to bat 200. You, you got to find some way to make sure that doesn't impact you negatively. And it really comes down to, well, where are you taking him at? Like, wh- where, where are you going to take yeah. him at? Like, that's that's really what I look at, too. And and I think maybe that's more the aggravation is is I see people like, you know, you know, oh, like, I just, I feel like he always goes way too high. Like, and again, you have to work around you, you, in points leagues. I mean, you have to work around it. Like there's no doubt about it. I mean, yeah. Okay. It's a catcher, but you, you have to offset. Man, yeah, even after care. multiple years of being, you know, around the Mendoza line, he still goes as like a top five, top six catcher. And yeah. it's like people yeah. will, they, they love putting themselves out there because they think they might, get the rebound Gary Sanchez that hits 280 with like 40 bombs. And if 
you draft him and he does that, then yeah, you that's a league winning player right there. But Absolutely. if you look at the top three catchers according to F4, and I'm pretty sure they're the top three in terms of WRC plus as well. Um, you look at Buster Posey, Omar Narvaez, and JT Romuto, and Yasmani Grandal, and his 163 batting average. It has the sixth highest WRC plus. I absolutely love that. I'm trying to get it where his WRC plus will actually be higher than his batting average. He's almost (laughs) there. He's almost there. 163 average, 140 WRC plus. We're going to really push for him to get there. But Omar Nervais was a guy that I I would get free the last like three years. He'd be at the end of a draft and he was always a good hitter going back to the last season with the White Sox. And then he went to Seattle and he hit and he would just sit there at the end of drafts. And especially in a two catcher league, uh, I would pick one, you know, like a Will Smith or somebody boring and a couple of guys at the time, uh, Carson Kelly, I've picked a couple of times in two catcher leagues. And then I would get Omar Narvaez for like in the last round in every single year, he's paid off money for me. And of course, when we were doing our uh, build a bear lineups, uh, build a lineups this year for 2.0. Uh, I talked about Omar Narvaez. I really, I was like, he had it down 2020. I said he was all already cheap to begin with. He might not even get drafted this year. If you're in a two catcher league, you need to get this guy. What happens when we go into draft day, every catcher that I had talked about and said, I'm getting this catcher. I didn't get any of them. Will Smith, got picked by Jet Dry. Omar Narvaez got picked by James Handeboat. I I mean, they just started flying off the board, flying off the board. And I'm like, what am I going to do? And I ended up with like Carson Kelly and Tyler Stevenson, who Tyler Stevenson's been awesome so far, uh, splitting time with Tucker Barnhart in Cincinnati. Uh, He's another guy who since June 1st has been, you know, really good. And he's been kind of up and down, but former first round uh, prospect. So can't really miss with that. And Carson Kelly was off to an insanely hot start before he fouled a ball off his foot and broke his toe. But you know, yeah, that's was, how was, you, you had a little gem in him there for a minute. Yeah. And I was like, cause when I saw Will Smith jet dry, if you listen to any of our draft recaps, me and Felipe, we try and be nice, but some of his drafts just make no sense. It's like he, he picks names out of the hat and of course, you always like when he does that, you know, it's somewhat unpredictable. And when he picked Will Smith, I thought I still had like three rounds before I could draft Will Smith because it was pretty early. Nope. Will Smith well, off the board. Will Smith's hat. Uh, name must have came out of the hat. Uh, last year than <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was just one of those uh, very unfortunate things. But uh, the catching seems to have been, you know, slightly better this year compared to past years uh, right now with uh, among catchers with at least 50 plate appearances, there's actually 23 of them that have a WRC plus over league average over a hundred, which seems like a very high number. Yeah. I, I don't understand. Uh, I, I don't, I don't even, I mean, maybe you, you have a take on it, but um, ca- the, the catching spot, it, it's just always strange to me because I always feel like there's guys out there that can think again, working around it. If your lineup is built a certain way, you can work around it. And I always feel like there's guys out there that you can put in or they, they don't get drafted or whatever it is. And um, they end up, uh, they end up sitting there. And I'm like, I, I just don't, the, the perception of catchers is very strange to me in the fantasy world. Like, I, I feel like either you're hyping people up too much or you got to get them. I mean, I get it, the top five guys, whatever, but there's a lot of like, just, just quality 
get you by type of stuff if your team is built right. Um, but yeah, it, it's a strange dynamic with catchers within within fantasy leagues, how people perceive them. Yeah, uh, it, I've always looked at it this way is a lot of people will pick a catcher because they want the best catcher. They want to get something out of catcher. Uh, several years ago, I think it was in the very first a year we did a baseball life uh, actual fantasy league uh, friend of the show and former guest host Mario Mergola. He picked JT Romuto and Gary Sanchez with back-to-back picks in like the fourth and fifth round. Uh, wow. <laughs> we're like, what? That's, that's aggressive, huh? <laughs> yeah. It was, it was a two catcher league, but he went out there and he got the two best catchers at the time off the board. Uh, this was, I think 2018, but uh, it was like, wow, he really did that. Like how many other hitters were available that, we're probably far more reliable and going to play far more many games. Yeah. Uh, and so my strategy when it comes to catchers has always been find somebody that is going to suck the least and hurt me the least. And just like a, a baseline, mm-hmm. I'm not going to go shoot for the moon and use a really high pick to get a catcher. That it just, it, it's courting disaster. And so that's how I end up with a lot of Omar Nervais. That's how I end up with a lot of guys like, uh, Oh, what was his name? Carson Kelly. I've had Carson Kelly for two or three years now, ever since he got traded. And uh, Sean Murphy in, in Oakland, uh, Jorge Alfaro, even though he strikes out, you know, I would never touch him in a points league. But these are all guys that, you know, they don't hurt you. It, it's just no. – and they play more than your average guy, especially Murphy and Alfaro. They're like the two highest, you know, percentage of guys that are catching. Uh, Murphy is the only catcher in baseball. Actually, he's one of – three Salvador Perez is one and Wilson Contreras is the other that have at least 200 play appearances. So it's one of those, just you have to find somebody that hurts you the least, but uh, that this whole spiel on catchers wasn't even planned. I I liked how it, uh, it came to it though. It was, uh, it was fun. Well, Steven, I am glad that you came on. You were able to fill in for Felipe, uh, I can't wait till Felipe's back. So I don't have to do this anymore. I love when he's the one throwing me the questions. Uh, I'm in a whole different realm here. I try my best. Uh, you were awesome as always. So any parting thoughts well. or well. final words? No, you know, actually I was, I'm a little disappointed. I thought we were going to spend a, a whole two hours on the topic of um, uh, the, the pirates Cubs play with Javi Baez. And how <laughs> oh, we, we, and everybody <laughs> lost their mind. I, I was going into this like, yes, we get two hours to talk about this. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you know what the best part about it was that not even two weeks later, Cabrian Hayes hits that home run and right? doesn't touch first base again. <laughs> it's like, what is it with the pirates and not wanting to touch first base? <laughs> Their biggest struggle this year has been first base. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. That, that cracked me up. And of course on the same night, Cabrian Hayes did that Bobby Witt jr. I'm not yeah. sure if you saw the replay of that. Yep. He hit the like two run, three run home run. It looked like he stepped on home plate and the umpire I, was looking right at him. Yeah. I thought it, he did, but yeah. Yeah. The umpire even like brushed off home plate afterwards. <laughs> I don't know what happened there. Uh, I, I'm really, I, I would love to hear what the umpire said if they interviewed him afterwards. But thank you so much once again, Stephen, for coming on the show. Unlike Felipe, I don't. I always forget what day all the other shows are on. I do know that Dong City is on Mondays. I think they are going tomorrow. Be sure to tune in to them. I'm sure they will have some replies to our Gary Sanchez and Miguel Andujar takes. They always do. Uh, And then later on in the week, we have uh, the step back with Jacob 
and Leon, almost forgot Leon's name, as the basketball playoffs wrap up, and as well as Matt and Randy on the Audible. I believe they're going on Fridays now, Friday afternoons, Friday evenings, as we talk about you know some of the OTAs, mini camps. Uh, Julio Jones got traded. That was the kind of the big news in the NFL world. But uh, be sure to check out all of our other life groups, basketball life, baseball life, wrestling life. Forgot about that one. They have their own podcast. Corey Richmond, he's awesome. He's been on the show several times. So be sure to go out there and uh, give them your love as well as us for the Total Basis podcast. This is Sean and Steven. Thank you for joining us. Everyone have a good one.